We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike, no Darius today. And today, both Mike and I are going to talk to Patrick Beverly, going to have his media availability today, and going to sit down and do some film stuff with him. I'm really excited about that. First time doing that with an NBA player. So we're going to talk a little bit about his fit, Mike. Pat Bev comes with a lot of different angles to him, Mike. Going into your interview today, what's what's on your mind first with him? Well, I think the fit for Beverly alongside LeBron and AD is very obvious, right? And that's part of the reason, perhaps part of the appeal for Beverly wanting to join this team, which it does seem to be clear um, that he did. And the question, though, is who fits next to him and then how long he plays and what is that how does that impact the rotation? And I guess let me flip this back to you just to start, but I am of the opinion that he should start no matter what, whether it's next to Russ, I don't care if you want to define point guard, shooting guard, you know, Beverly can sort of guard either spot just fine. He's going to be the point of the attack player. Russ didn't actually guard a ton of point guards last year anyway, if that's the case Mm -hmm. and he can slide up a little bit, but so that would be my sort of short answer into it. But if the roster is as is today, Pete, how do you approach things with Beverly uh, and in terms of starting and then in terms of rotation? So he's in pen as a starter, just like you're saying to me. Uh, I If we had a better player and maybe the political situation were a little different, but it's really more about the player uh, than anything, then like maybe Russ, maybe not Russ as that second starter. But with this current roster, especially, I think Russ is just a better player than any guard that we have off of the bench. And that the overall, uh, that the surrounding context of the lineup with the stretch five, I think we have the chance to be really big, Mike. I think that's something that we are kind of a return to that this year. When I look at that backcourt, that's a really physical backcourt between Pat Bev and Russ. Then you've got AD moving back to the four with TB filling or, or Jones filling that five spot. I think it'll be TB, but, um, 
all of a sudden we're a pretty big team across the board there. LeBron at the three. And I think that that we talked so much about dissonance last year with like the players didn't really fit the style of Vogel. Like we needed to be a small team last year and Vogel plays really big basketball. There isn't that dissonance this year. In fact, the roster more more so fits kind of what I think Ham is looking to do. So that in and of itself is what stands out to me, Mike, is that that's a big physical backcourt and that's a big physical starting lineup and kind of a return to that style of play. Yeah, I like that thought too. And by being big and physical there, and let's say that Beverly is starting at the one defensively, which of course makes sense. You know, teams are so often getting into different actions where they're switching and then all of a sudden defenders are moving to different places on the floor. And you know, Beverly's going to compete against the biggest center in the league if he gets a switch. He's going to get over the hardest screen on the perimeter. And so those are things I think you can sort of count on um, at those spots. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, what do you lose in that kind of sense uh, on either end? Let's say that it's Beverly and Russ. Like, what are the things, what are the areas to you that stand out as potential weaknesses? So the shooting guard that I'd love to have next to Russ is more Malik Monk than Patrick Beverly type offensively. I think that's where you get some of the the harm in that is that Pat Bev runs the floor well and that he'll run it hard, but he's not a guy that's going to run off of a sprint and catch and like raise right up with the jumper. He needs to be kind of comfortable with his feet and go up with it like that. Lonnie Walker is a guy who can run alongside a guy, a guy like Russ and kind of be on the receiving end of because like the the way that you get the most out of Russ is capitalize on his ability to play at speed. And so that's why with that starting lineup, it's a little bit of a slower group, right? You got AD at the four. Pat Bev is not like a, a sprinter necessarily. He's not a great athlete. And so that's the first thing that comes to mind for me is that like, I'm totally okay with that. Like we, let's be big and physical to start out with. And if that doesn't totally complement, you know, the way that, that Russ wants to play, like those are the minutes to me that like that's more Russ is going to have to fit in in certain ways, but I think he can do that yeah. as the point guard on offense. But Beverly isn't that like, we're going to fly down the court and kick it out to him and it's going up uh, immediately type of score. No, he's sort of the, for the opponent, he's the, hey, this this is going to be a serious game tonight, right? That's You're, you're setting a tone uh-huh. with Beverly when he comes in. He's doing his defensive histrionics. He's getting up in people's faces. And so that's one thing. But to bring the minutes back into this, so last year he played 25 and a half minutes for Minnesota, 25.4 to be be exact. The year before, only 22.5. year before that, 23.6. So his his minutes number has been in that range, um, and his games have been limited too um, by some injuries. But you can do this, what you were just saying, whether it's Lonnie Walker or a player like that, you could either sub Beverly out first, which you almost have to do, um, given his minutes being that low, even if mm-hmm. I think we had talked about in the past, maybe the best thing to do if Russ starts is to get him out first so that he can have more time away from LeBron and away from AD and essentially with shooting. So how do you square that? How do you how do you basically both get Beverly and Russ <laughs> like out in working <laughs> with different units? It seems like that's going to be a little tricky in terms of the overall minutes spread. So, Mike, we're about a week away from me sending you long screenshots of the rotation. Yes, right? the, the specific uh, one, one of, minutes for each guy. I'm waiting yes, for it. I'm like, waiting for at, it. at this point of the game, this is the lineup type of thing. Um, and again, we're going to have I, – I don't want to put the cart before the horse here. We're, when when Darius comes back, we're going to have a longer conversation about – about just processing if Russ is back, right? Like if that's something that has been will he, won't he throughout so much of the year. And so we're kind of a little skipping ahead a little bit uh, 
with this, but squaring those things, Mike, is LeBron's minutes and maintenance is priority in that he always comes out at the six minute mark between the six and seven minute mark of the first quarter is when he subs out. And usually you're going to want to have a ball handler in the game at the same time. So kind of what I see is LeBron and Pat Bev coming out at the same time and then Austin. And then that other guy can be JTA. It can be Troy Brown Jr. It could be Lonnie Walker, Walker, depending on, yeah, on, on the look that you want to want to go with there. Um, And, and so yeah, that that second um, that second guard position. I think that's a unit. That's your Russ and AD units. It's like Russ, Austin, say Troy Brown is a three and D guy with the two bigs, AD and and TB. So you've got spacing. The four guys that are surrounding Russ can shoot. You've got a guy who can a great connector in Austin who can be that spot up shooter, but can kind of do the in between things. You've got rim protection. You've got two roll men. One one can pop, one can roll. And so Pat Bev to me is a guy that is the first six minutes of the first and third quarter, and then the last six minutes of the second and fourth quarter, and then you're at 24 minutes per game. I kind of view Austin as his direct backup. I'm very curious where Kendrick Nunn fits into this. I think that. Once again, we have one too many guards and one too few forwards. And if I could convert one of the guards, but we got five guards, Mike, between Russ, Pat Bev, Lonnie Walker, Austin and Kendrick Nunn, who very much likely believe they should be getting minutes and they on most teams that they would. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Most time you can only play four guards. Yeah, it's like the opposite issue that the Clippers have where they've got just a ton of wings and all of them probably expect to be playing bigger minutes and. Yeah, they're in terms of on paper, in terms of what would be best for the Lakers, you would just swap one of those players and get a bigger wing for and sure. then things would make more sense. But I think that typically and especially Pete in the last couple of years in the NBA, when it seems like guys are always missing games, that part of the problem will work itself out in that context. Now, yeah. if everybody is healthy, then that's a simple. I think that Darvin Ham, what I'm curious to see about Darvin is does he do what Frank Vogel did early in seasons and just play more guys until he got a better sense of what it is? Or does he pick who he thinks has the is the best group to start and then just spam that out and kind of let that force the continuity in a way? And I think that there isn't necessarily a right answer. I kind of found myself wishing last year that it would have happened earlier that, okay, these guys clearly can't play. Let's just let's go with this semblance of continuity so that there can be some sort of rhythm established. And to be fair to Vogel, though, you had COVID, you had ran injuries you, like he could never even get LeBron and AD on the floor together. Right. So that was just a, a snowball of 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 just bad luck that happened. But that to me is what Darvin has to be paying very close attention to training camp and to be I, I know that he's been in a lot of workouts over the last couple of weeks to be kind of looking and seeing what guys look like in person when they're working out, which is sometimes a little different from when you're scouting them on the other team. But that's the tricky balance that I, in fact, want to ask Darvin about, right? At some point in one of these practices that are coming up in a couple of weeks as to what philosophically he's thinking there, because I do think that it, he's the guy, Pete, that ends up coming. That he's the one that has to make these choices. He's the one that has to figure out how to sell that to the team. And I I worry much less about how it impacts one of the guards that isn't playing as much for this season. It's to me, it's a pretty clear. It's like LeBron AD, mm-hmm. everybody else get on board. Don't have time yep. for any of that other yep. stuff. And so it's Darwin's got to make those choices. hundred percent. And I think that sets up, we've talked about this a little bit, but 
just training camp battles. And from a coach's perspective, from his perspective, he can absolutely have that attitude of like, look, if you're not showing up to compete, if you're not playing with that sense of urgency, I've got somebody who's very close to you in terms of capability. Like one guy we haven't talked about at all is Wenyan Gabriel. Do I think Wenyan Gabriel is a rotation guy on a championship team? No. Do I feel totally comfortable playing Wenyan in games in the regular season that like, can he be a contributor off of the bench if someone gets hurt in front of him or could he even earn a spot ahead? I like, I think that speaks to your point, Mike, is there's so many guys on the team that are close enough, both in terms of capability, but also reputationally that it's like, may the best man win. I really, and I think that from a coach's perspective, that's a great environment to be in. Well, and I'd also say, to address the guard forward thing specifically, or even the guard big man thing. If you have to play, if Troy Brown is going to play basically more than Kendrick Nunn, just because the rest of the roster um, is as it is, then so be it. Right. That's, that just, right. is, that's what things have to be. And that doesn't mean that later in, in the season or as the season goes on, none could be called upon to be that immediate sixth man. Who's the one that's playing the most off the bench. Like, I we need to see that happen though. We need to see him come back healthy, and so that he's to me the first kind of swing player out of this. Because if he's if he looks like Kendrick Nunn that was playing in the NBA Finals against the Lakers, and he's started to find that rhythm, he's feeling that healthy. Then great. Then I think that he might he might be able to cement his spot there, and especially on a team in which your starting point guard in Patrick Beverly or however you want to list it, if he's with Russ, where that player is mm-hmm. just not going to play big minutes. And so you're going to need at least some minutes from a guard in that context. Uh, I agree with you that Austin, to me, is the guy that fits the best as, in fact, that would be, I would love to start Austin in some context next to Beverly. Uh, but mm-hmm. as you mentioned politically, and it, I think that things will not be quite that simple, but Lonnie Walker then becomes the name where, you know, it's like if you, if Lonnie Walker were three inches taller, and oh, could right. defend, you know, it could defend <laughs> up a position, but it's not. It is difficult to fit both Walker and Nunn, I guess, in this yeah. in this context, because we're sort of plugging Reeves in, and the Toscano Anderson range is bigger, so he's going to be at there. He's going to be out there no matter what. But and then Brown to me is bigger uh, and has the chance to defend up more at least. Even if he he said he likes to defend point guards. Okay, well they already got guys mm-hmm. to defend point guards. So as right. as we get in, I'm getting into this word salad already, like trying to figure out how to how to get one of these, which is, I think what you're saying, Pete, how to get one of these guards to size up and Mm -hmm. leaving one of them out of the mix there. Yeah. That's in writing out those rotation minutes. That's one of the big challenges. And I, one of the things I just landed on is it's just tough to play more than four guards. And so under our current roster, I think one of those five guys is, is kind of sitting on the sidelines at least to start out. Or there's an injury or something, like you said, attrition usually has a way of working that out. And there are worse things than this for, for certain, but like Brown to me is a two, three, whereas JTA is a three, four. And so those two spots in particular are really important, Mike, because I, there's, I view our wing defense slightly differently than I think most people do in that because we're playing a bigger lineup this year, the need for wings is reduced slightly because AD becomes one of your wings at that point. Well, that's, that's one way to look at it. And because AD can defend anywhere. But I'm wondering how much Pat Bev, while still getting the ball pressure that you want, right, in terms of the ball handle, which is one thing that he's great at, how much could you slide him up and play a different type of ball pressure guard? 
how much could you use Pat Bev as a wing, basically, like because yeah. of what the rest of the roster is? Because I think physically he holds up just fine against almost, yep. in, including, by the way, we've seen him guard Kevin Durant. Not that anybody mm-hmm. can really do it, but in a playoff series. So how much does that answer the question? I think that's a great point. And the reality of that, one of the things I'd be entertaining this year are three guard lineups with two bigs. Because I think that we are, our bigs are, I'm really, like TB, if TB didn't get hurt, he wouldn't be a minimum player. He'd be an eight to $10 million guy in the league. Now it's possible he gets hurt again and it doesn't matter. But in terms of the quality of basketball player that he is, he's like, he does a few different things that are, that are helpful. And then Damian Jones with, with AD, like our center spot feels so much stronger. And remember last year, I was like, our bigs, I'm really worried about our bigs. Like our our center spot is so much stronger that if you've got two bigs in the game, I think you can get away with those three guard lineups, especially if one of them's Pat Bev. And you can even throw Russ into this, Mike, Russ guards up. Up as well. And so if you have, that's one of the ways that I think you can address that too many guards, not enough forwards issues. Yeah. Cause you're away, you're in a way cheating what the lineup expectations are for positions. If when you have LeBron and AD and especially LeBron because of the ball handling that you get from one of your front court players defensively. So, right. And this is, this goes back to a long time Phil Jackson type of philosophy where, okay, well I'm going to, I have Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. So why am I going to play a little ball handler, like a little primer mm. point guard? Why don't I just play some big ass dude like Ron Harper right next to them right. on offense? And sure, there were times like Steve Kerr had his had his place because he was an amazing spacer, but he never held the ball. And defensively, he battled. You know, it wasn't. Well, and he was a bench player, Mike. He's not yes. somebody that even closed a, a ton of games for them. He would sometimes. But the point is that they didn't have to play Steve Kerr. Right. So exactly. So Kerr would Kerr would come in, but he wasn't the guy that was out there, right, starting in those in those physical lineups. And I think Phil took that to when he came to the Lakers. And even think of so look, Derek Fisher is another example of somebody that like, yes, he was a point guard, but he wasn't always like the pickup 94 feet and the pressure. He was a guy that battled through screens. He could size up if he needed to. He was difficult to post up because he's a, he's a fire hydrant. So even though he was a little bit shorter than guys like Harper, he also scaled big. And then we moved to the Lakers team that won the title, of course. And like Alex Caruso, when he would come in with those lineups, was big. And they would start at times like KCP, basically, as that as the point guard in some ways. Uh, and then Danny Green, another big guard. So I'm just trying to figure out with what this roster is. So Beverly isn't as tall and Westbrook even a little bit shorter, but they are bigger guards in terms of what their physicality is. In that context, and, and I think that goes to your earlier point about how you start a game and how you how you best take advantage of a group that has LeBron James as a, a ball handler when he's starting at a forward position. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'd love to get more into this big guard idea. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, 
the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Mike, I think we've got two boxes that we need to check. And we just talked about one of them in terms of when you've got that big prime ball handler that and even AD fits into this a little bit. And I think there's a conversation to be had about AD's role as a driver in a four out offense because it's more conducive to dribble penetration. And so I just think I think that AD doing that will be maybe a little more on the menu this year. But let me let me pull this out of you on AD, though. So do you mean that? AD, you can basically run an offense through him. Even So even he doesn't have to bring the ball up the court, but you can just give him the ball early in the shot clock and then defense is going to have to react a certain way. So it, he, got, he can like function as a guard in a way. Yes, so if he can function as the guy that breaks down the def- the initial defender from the perimeter. This isn't going to be against every matchup. And if he's playing the four more, he's more likely to be against smaller players against whom like driving to the basket maybe isn't his natural advantage. It's that he's bigger than them. But it's similar to Giannis. They're different players. But when you've got a guy, a lot of times Giannis will be in the left slot. So when he drives to his right, he's driving toward the middle of, of the court. And that just kind of breaks down the defense in a way where if you can make that drive and kick or drive and dish read, like this is one of the passes that AD is actually really good at. I think he's a much better off the dribble passer than he is out of the post. And so, yeah, that like he's so big and so hard to handle and is so good at those floaters over the top. I think kind of giving him the ball to not run the offense necessarily, but this offense, Mike, is more about like that dude's better than the guy across from him. He's going to create an advantage. Now let's take advantage of that advantage by being spaced to the right spots, understanding when to kick up, when to relocate and all of that. But it's really just built around, Mike, like we've got guys who are so talented that they're just way better than the guy across from them. That's one of the things I'm excited about even with Russ is that like this is an offense that's really built for dribble penetrators. It maximizes the advantage that you get out of guys that can get all the way to the basket. To bring Beverly back into this, and I'm, I'm just thinking about him and why it works just going to the starting lineup in some senses. So he's not going to be asked to make plays off the dribble much with that starting lineup. And he's going to be spaced out. And the defense is going to collapse into the paint again, whether it's LeBron or whether it's around AD, or even if you have Russ initiate some action. So Beverly's just going to be spaced out shooting. And when he gets the ball, he's going to shoot it. And when he makes it, he's going to let the other team know about it. He's going to flex about it. He's going to crow about it. But no matter what, he's running back in the other end for his main priority and his main job, which is to play defense. And then to, to create a certain amount of nastiness and a certain amount of energy that that group did not have a ton of last year. 
He might even make that three and pick you up, pick up the guard defensively and play ball denial and pick up 94 feet, right? Like it's part of the pressure that he puts on you is it, it's this constant no, like you don't get a break. And so that's something that we talked about this briefly before. We talked about it with Darius, but I was looking at the whole net rating thing. And this is when I was sitting next to you. And that to me, I think is the biggest reason why his lineups have success. It's that the start of the game. The start of the third quarter, you know, maybe closing the half to an extent, but like making sure that everybody else is locked in the competitiveness, the the effort, the energy, the not needing the ball, like those things typically translate into leads, um, at least in, in the short term. And that's a different spot from where the Lakers, if we can assume that, which I know we have to kind of it, it's got to be borne out, but that's a different place than where they were at last year, especially starting the season with those starting lineups, mm-hmm. Pete, that were just getting even when like LeBron and AD are on the court and it's just not working and it's not working at all. And they're down and they're having to, to come back and the game that they would win would be because Le- LeBron got hot basically from three in the right. second half, you know? So that having that chance, I think that Beverly gives you to just um, to just the starting, the starting gun at the line and getting everybody off of the racetrack um, is, is of particular importance. I'm just still, need to figure out right how this fits exactly with Russ. But that part of it, I think, happens no matter who's on the court. Well, so does everyone, right? Like we all, that, that's what everyone's wondering is, is how does this fit? But Pat Bev uh, said something recently about like, watch us work. And I think that he imbues a sense of urgency and in the moment, and like the gym, you know, where, where I sit and where we sit in, in the fishbowl at the facility, it's very close. It's within earshot of the gym. And every time I've been in there recently, like it's lively. I don't know if you've got thoughts on this, but one of the sins of last year went well beyond the starting lineups and who you play and, and this and that. And we just had a very casual approach to the start. It was very like, it's a long season. We'll get there. We'll get there. I'm sensing just a very different, like, let's go, let's get after it uh, type of sense that I think comes with having a new coach, new players, but also getting smacked in the mouth a bit like we did last year. I think all of this, there's kind of a stew that's, that's brewing that, in my mind, Mike, I just feel very much a, a like there's an intensity to now that isn't didn't exist a year ago and that we aren't nearly it. That isn't cresting quite yet, but I just it has a different energy to me. Am I, am I wishing this into existence or do you see this as well? Well, it might be hopeful, but it's also logical. And we have also seen some of it before. And the last time that I think that it was super prominent was the time that the Lakers after the first season like when they got Anthony Davis, right? And LeBron, this was revenge season. And this was this was people like taking shots at Bronny was part of it, I mean. But the biggest thing was LeBron not being in the playoffs and having to watch every game and just stewing. And now we've seen him pick up, including on Labor Day, right? The Instagram posting and the, uh-huh. his workouts. And he's in there with Phil Handy the other day. I was actually, I enjoyed seeing Troy Brown out there with them. There's just there's something about that. It's almost like when, if LeBron's putting you into the video there, that there's some level of approval, right. Which seems important to some extent from mm-hmm. the leader of the team. So there's all that. It, it only goes in contrast to like, in terms of LeBron with the, with the 20th season and like how much different is he physically from the a couple seasons before. But I think like right now, if you just watch the videos, he basically looks like the same player. And, mm-hmm. and so that part of that part is certainly encouraging. And then Beverly, though, to me, he is the key ingredient. I just watched it happen with Minnesota. 
I watched the second that he got there, it transformed their energy. Yep. And it's not that yep. that doesn't wear on teams in a different way, which it does um, over time, just in the way that Chris Balls does. But there's just no question that the team needed this type of specific Patrick Beverly energy um, that he is going to be bringing into the start of training camp. And how that fits alongside everybody else, I think, is is somewhat secondary. It's just that that it's the it's immediate it, because it, it's genuine, I guess, is the way that I would put it. Right. It's not like he has to come in and fake that and sort of try to get the rest of the team to follow along. That's just who he is. And the way you figure it out is like going through the actual work. Right. Like that that genuineness serves as a foundation for for everyone. Right. Like, let's enjoy this. Let's love the work that we have to put into uh to getting good as a basketball team and that like, but that embracing of today is really a concept that I'm, I've been yearning for, for the last couple of years and that I really feel that tide sort of turning. And Mike, like I said, we all have to, everyone involved has to figure it out, but how do you figure out? You figure it out by doing it. You figure it out by making a mistake, making a pass somewhere that goes sailing out of bounds. And then you talk about it afterwards and be like, okay, no, I'm actually doing this. You did that. Okay. Now you're on the same page, but it's by the actual doing that you are able to sit and we won't figure everything out just off of goodwill and good faith, hard work, but we will get a better idea of what we can, what, what is within our control. And then what are the areas in with, which we need to make roster changes. Cause I don't think that even if we go into the season with this team, I don't think this is the final version of the team that goes into the postseason or in April or whatever. No. And, and I think that as you're describing that, I'm just thinking of going through seasons with teams and going on early road trips and what it's been like for the Lakers these last several years. And you need some level of success early, right. For guys to yeah. keep the buy-in. And that's, that's what really, I think aside, well, that's not the only thing, but that's one of the things that killed last season is that mm-hmm. it just, the the energy and the vibe went out so quickly. And if you recall, they actually played pretty hard and pretty well their first two games of the season. And they were mm-hmm. like, despite what the lineups were, but, and they, they end up, was it Phoenix and yeah, it was golden state, golden state, Phoenix and Memphis was the third game. And we won that third game. It was a close one, but, but yeah, that, that was a, a, like last, like this year, kind of a tough first week. Yeah. And so that's the, that's the, the counter to this. And it was, yeah. So it was golden state and then Phoenix and the golden state, it was, it was one twenty one to 114. They were in the game the whole time. Phoenix, it was one fifteen one hundred five. They were in it for the most part. And then you mentioned Memphis, um, and then that was San Antonio after that. But like if they're going to have the, the proper energy, I think, coming in. But then looking at what the schedule is, like what the thing that gets difficult to square is that you bring all of this great energy into a season, you know, feeling good, feeling like it's improved, feeling like there's a little bit more roster balance. Oh, I'm excited by this new addition. And then if you don't get enough victories early in the season, then some of the the question marks, especially if it's building on what happened last season, right, start to come in. And so it's a weird, like the the pressure that was there, that was never there in the 1920 team because they came in and they started kicking ass right away. Even though they lost the opener to the Clippers, um, it was a tight game. It was a, it was like, clearly that was a very good team, right? And they got right back the next game and just went ripped off a big winning streak and never looked back. And, and that's the thing that, that I'm not expecting them to be able to do that this October, but can they at least just win enough games win some of the tough ones, right? Even beat one of the teams that they won't be favored to beat early. That kind of thing can be super galvanizing, Pete, for the locker room. It can give credence to all of the Beverly type energy, right? That needs to be met with a certain level of winning. And so 
it's just going to be so interesting to be popping on the podcast right after the first game. And then after the second game with all the stuff that we're hearing from camp and all the stuff that we're hearing pregame and then postgame. And because there, there is real pressure and there's real, a real sense of urgency for a team that not many people are picking um, even to be like a for sure playoff team right now. I think a, a lot of, a lot of folks are going to be picking the Lakers as a, like a play in type, right. As you enter the season. I think that's absolutely crazy. Now, if there's injuries, like, of course, right, if there's injuries to LeBron and AD, but I, I think people's vision on this team are, are is like really clouded. I'm not saying this is a title team or anything like that, but the notion that a LeBron and AD team are a playing team and it not like they played, what, 21, 22 games last well, year. Yes, that's why the Lakers were bad. If they miss three quarters of their games this year, yes, the Lakers will be will be bad. Well, here, but here's the here's the pushback, though, and I'm. And I'm with you on the LeBron AD healthy point. But so you've got Denver last year was the six seed who was obviously getting a lot better uh, by getting healthier this year. The Clippers were the nine seed last year. I, I think we all expect them to get a lot better. The Pelicans were the eight seed. They're better. The, the Wolves were the seven seed. The only team that's supposed to fall off much of the top five is Utah. So you can obviously drop them down to near the bottom of the standings. Then you've got Dallas, Golden State, Memphis, Phoenix. So it's just it's just crowded. That's all. It, like it's sure. it's hard to say that almost any of those teams are a for sure hundred uh, percent. I suppose if we guarantee full health, but that to me is where the challenge is, Pete. And it's the same reason why having the such a Western Conference heavy schedule. I think I said sixteen out of the first twenty is so difficult. Mm-hmm. Is that even if you have LeBron and AD healthy, all of the rest of the pieces are new, um, except for Russ, which didn't fit last year, and. Mm-hmm. So that's that's to me more it's more of a like we can go through and we will we'll do a we'll do a whole like picking the Western Conference and trying to rank which of these teams and where the Lakers fit in. But that to me is where I think that especially nationally, people are going to be dropping in and thinking, well, yeah, they've got LeBron and AD, but like all of these other teams have some level of continuity and some level of stars, too. Yeah, they have LeBron and AD, but like blah, blah, blah. The other teams getting back Michael Porter Jr. or like. No, it's like that's way more important than yeah. the other things that are coming back. Us having LeBron and AD for if we can have them for 60 games, which maybe that's too optimistic in and of itself. But let's say Mike, let's not say 60 the, is the optimistic. Let's go at least 70 for the optimistic. There you go. Right. Yeah, and yeah. but that's but we were 20 something. Mike, we were in terms of like rotation minutes missed. We were at the very bottom of the league and the 29th team wasn't even close to us like we've had yeah Brooklyn, incredib- so Brooklyn. Brooklyn was the, the team that was close and everybody else was far away yeah right yeah. but like the idea that like oh yeah you're getting LeBron and AD back but we've got this this and that no no no, no. like it, it's I understand that there are other teams that have gotten better. I would argue that Golden State is likely to not win as many regular season games this year. I would argue that Phoenix is not going to win as many regular season games this year. There are wins to be had across across yeah, the I league. I mean, Memphis has no Jaron Jackson Jr. And, and you also figure that they're they're due for some level of just teams playing a little better against them, right? So like I can make that argument. Dallas, it's a, it, it's a little bit of a weirder fit where they lose Brunson and they bring in Christian Wood, right? And, and so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that all these other teams are all-time powerhouses. It's just that there are there are at least nine really good teams in the West. That's all. Mm-hmm. That's all. But but for sure. But I'm not arguing with but your and, point about LeBron and AD healthy versus, you know, any of those other tandems that gives you a nice advantage. It's just that the we're back into that three through eight conversation that we had last year. And that part of the roster is not as strong as basically all of those other teams. 
So that to me is the reason why the Lakers aren't a top two or three seed in the West with a, a healthy LeBron and AD, which is what they've pretty much always been when they've had those guys consistently. When we started the 2021 season, we were what, 21 and six. And that was with AD going at 70%. A lot of those guys coming back from the bubble, like that was not a team that was clicking on all cylinders by, by any means, but they were still one of the very best teams in the Western Conference. The formula for us to get to the, that success has never been about our number three guy. Who was our number three guy on those teams? It's about our defense. And I think that we are, we, I don't think we will be a 2021 or 2020 caliber defensive team. But if you look at the guys that we signed, almost all of them are DN3 players. Lonnie Walker is the only exception to that. And, and, or TB and Damian Jones, or Damian Jones specifically provides vertical spacing as well, right? So he's kind of a two and D guy, I suppose. And so, that in terms of like the things that we messed up in some ways, Mike, this is a great trial year for all of the things I was ranting about last year about like, yes, the rust trade was a bad idea, but we screwed up everything else. Right. Like, let's not screw up everything else and see how things work out with Russ. But like you said, Mike, like it's got to go. They've at least got to be good early on. Right. Like they've at least got to show if they lose by two to a you know, to a golden state or to a, a, a really good team and they're competitive and they get a couple of wins in that, like they need to look like they, they need to look the part at the very least. So I want to, to try and synthesize, right. My thoughts from earlier and, and focus on Beverly, but really talking about LeBron Navy again. So uh-huh. Beverly does lift, I think the floor for a lot of, and that's why I like the trade so much, despite how it being tough to lose CHG. He's just the kind of guy in this kind of a competitive environment that gives the Lakers a certain baseline level of intensity and effort and energy that I mm-hmm. think is very much needed. So that's that's one thing that I think will will help a lot. But we come right back to why was that team especially good in 1920 to start the season? And I, I it could do us all some good, I think, to watch a couple of those early season games. But my recollection of, of being there was that LeBron was really locked in on both ends of the floor. Mm -hmm. And he was excited to have AD there. He was excited that the role players were all playing hard and he had some big wings. Like it it was just, he, he was happy with what that mix was. And that I think resulted in a certain baseline level of energy and dominating games and effort from him. And then AD met that AD met what LeBron raised. And so last year, for many, many different reasons, right? We didn't, we weren't able to see that same level of like starting the season with a kicking ass, both ends from LeBron. And again, he was the least of the problems, but I'm saying in order for them to be that team that you're talking about, where they're expected to be a top couple seed like that, it requires that much from LeBron. And and this roster is going to require more from him than the roster two years ago did. And it gets a little bit back to our conversation that we had the other day, the other pod about LeBron but if he comes in and, and can dominate like that, and, and AD has to, okay, there is absolutely no excuse whatsoever, right. right, for Davis not to come in just all over the place on both ends of the court. And, and can he do that physically? So those, that's where my level of kind of what I'm going to be paying most attention to, because I know what I'm getting from Beverly. Um, I, of course, I can't, I don't know what we're getting from Russ, but uh, I do know what I, what I really need to see is how LeBron and AD start that season. And if and if the way that you're speaking, I think you seem to have a certain level of confidence that those two are going to be able to hit the ground in a certain way. And if that's the case, then of course, then it's a different conversation. Well, 
what I remember is last year, I think it was the Golden State game. It was either the Golden State or the Phoenix game of those first two games of the season. LeBron and AD were amazing. I think it was Golden State. And we were down by like 12, right? And that was something where it was like, oh, these guys are dominating. I couldn't remember a game where both guys were dominant in the same game and we were struggling as much as we were. And that was something that I think... Yeah, like I think that that zapped a little bit of the enthusiasm going in in the Phoenix game. We actually weren't in that game. We were down by 30 going into the fourth quarter. We made a massive comeback with LeBron at the five. That was Austin's first minutes. He got the his first bucket kind of drifting into the lane over JaVale. But we were down by 30 at the end of that third quarter and made a huge comeback and ended up losing that game by like 10 because we went to some LeBron at the five minutes. But like early in I I guess my point, Mike, is that when a guy like LeBron sees that or a guy like AD, I think that's sort of like, oh, we're we're doing everything we can and we're getting freaking dominated. I think that can really zap your life and spirit and kind of zest for the rest of the season. For sure. You said a couple of things there. I wish we could go longer that uh, that we could talk about. But uh, this was fun. We'll get into uh, some more. Hopefully, deal will be back tomorrow. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Bryant. Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.